0: Amen. Hey, we're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're in the last four verses of our chapter, chapter 2. The last four verses. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're in verses 17 through 20. We're going to read that, and then we're going to get back to it later. Um, But let's, let's start with our text, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, the last four verses, 17 through 20. You guys ready? Amen. But we, brethren, we is the writers of this letter, which is Paul and Silas and Timothy. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person but not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face, these men write to the church at Thessalonica. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Huh. wonder what that looks like. Verse 19. For who, this is a rhetorical question, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus at his coming? Oh, church, you are our glory and joy. Great, great words from these men. There's a pastor named H.K. Downey, and he tells the story about a large newspaper that offered a substantial amount of cash for the best answer to the following question. Here's that question. What is the shortest way to London, was the question. The entry which won this cash prize money was this. The answer to that question was the shortest way to London is good company. It's just, I just love that answer. The shortest way to navigate through this thing called life, the ups and downs that we surely experience, the shortest way to do that, the best way to do that, is with good company. Brothers and sisters in Christ, people that partner with us in ministry, so we can navigate our way with good company through the ups and downs that the Lord has us on. Amen? Paul... And Silas and Timothy, they've loved this church. They love their brothers and sisters in Christ, and they want to be good friends to them. They want to be with them. But Satan is hindering them. Can we take that off the screen real quick? We're not quite there, Ron. Thank you so much. Thank you. So, right? So the enemy just wants to hinder hinder us in the friendships that we have. Go ahead and put that one up there now. Thank you, Ron. Out of Proverbs seventeen seventeen, it says, a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. It's a good word. To be a friend, as Paul and Silas and Timothy were, they, they loved at all times through the ups and the downs. It's the way Christ loved us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The word says that he will never leave us nor forsake us. In the end of that proverb, it says, a brother is born for adversity. It's, it's what... It's part of our calling as Christian men and women is to be born for that purpose, the same thing that is what made Christ what he is to step in on our behalf into our adversity as well. E.C. McKenzie says this. He says, some people make enemies instead of friends because it's less trouble. That's just true. You know how much easier it is to be an enemy of somebody than to be a friend of somebody? It takes more work to be a friend to somebody than it does to be an enemy. George Washington says this. He says, associate yourself with men of good quality if you esteem your own reputation, for better to be alone than to be in bad company. So true. Sometimes we do have to walk alone for periods of time until God gives us the right company that we need. A devotional called The Bible Friend says this. says, if you really want to know who your friends are, (laughs) just make a mistake. Right? Just make a mistake. Hey, raise your hand if you've never made a mistake. Hey, you're better than the last group. At 9 a.m., three people raised their hand, and that (laughs) turned out to be their first mistake. So it worked out brilliantly well. I won't name names. Well, I could, but I won't. It was awesome. Church, let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you love us so much, that you never leave us nor forsake us, that, Lord, we can call you friend, savior and friend. Lord, you ask us to come alongside each other in the same way. Lord, we see that in these four verses, the the friendship, the compassion, the, the devotion that these men have for this church, the people at this church. May we learn from our text this morning, we pray in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. So good to be with you guys. Thank you. All right, so we got to get some work done. We got to go into Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17. We got to cover some ground because when we go through some things in 16 and 17, it's going to bring these verses to life. It's going to make them pop a little bit more. So go to the book of Acts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and then the book of Acts. And go to chapter 16. We're going to... Read the first 12 verses, and then we'll bounce to the next two, and then we'll bounce to the next four, and then we'll jump into 17, okay? Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 1. So if you guys recall, Paul uh, took how many missionary journeys did Paul take? He took three. This is his, the beginning of his second missionary journey, where he's going out, planting churches, sharing the gospel, seeing people get saved. Verse 1 of chapter 16. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. And there was a guy there named Timothy, a disciple. So this is the same Timothy that's writing the book of Thessalonians with Paul and with Silas, right? So he meets this guy, Timothy, son of a Jewish woman. She was a believer, but his father was a Greek. And he, Timothy, was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. And so Paul wanted this man, Timothy, to go with him. And so he took him and had him circumcised because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were delivering the decrees, the word of God, which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders, no Bible back then, right? Not yet, who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches, oh, Gosh, verse 5 just warms the heart of God. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith because of the word of God, and they were increasing in number daily. I pray the same is happening today around the globe. Verse 6, they passed through the Phrygian and Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia at that time. And after they came to Mysia, they were trying to go into Bithynia, and the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. And passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. And then a vision appeared to Paul in the night. And here was the vision, a man of Macedonia. Now Macedonia is the region where Thessalonica and Philippi are in. So that's where you get the Thessalonian letter and the Philippian letter. A vision appeared to Paul. A man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him. This is the vision and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to that region. And so putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is in Macedonia, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. And we were staying in this city for some days. Okay, so now go down to verse 22 and 23, also of chapter 16. So they're in Philippi, which is in Macedonia, and the crowd rose up together against them. And the chief magistrates tore their robes off of them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had struck them with many blows, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. And then they finally realized that they shouldn't have done that. <laughs> and look at verse 37, the last four verses. So they, they decide to let him go, even though they did some wrong things to them. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us in public without trial. Men who are Romans. And they've thrown us into prison. And now they're sending us away secretly? No, indeed. That Paul, man. But let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. And they came and appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them, just leave the city, please just leave. And they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them, and then they departed. Okay, so they go to Philippi, they get beaten down, they get booted out, and now they go to the next town, (laughs) Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them, to the Jews. And for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that Christ, the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One had to suffer and to rise again from the dead. And he said, this Jesus guy who, did, who came and died and rose again, this Jesus who I am proclaiming to you, he's the anointed one of the Lord God Almighty. He is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But... The Jews becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar. And attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring Paul and Silas out to the people. And they did not find them, so they began dragging Jason and some of the other brethren before the city authorities. And they were shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also, and thank God they have. Thank God that these people that bring the gospel message, that upset the world, are doing exactly that. Thank God. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen. And Jason has welcomed them. Good for you, Jason. And they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar. Who cares? Saying that there is another king. There is! His name is Jesus, and he's the only king. And they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they had received, they pledged from Jason... And the others, they released them. And the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went, of course they went, into the synagogue of the Jews. They get booted out of Philippi. They get booted out of Thessalonica. And they go to Berea and they do the same thing all over again. Now these were more, verse 11, now these were more noble minded than those, these Jews was what that means. Now these Jews were more noble minded than those Jews in Thessalonica, for they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. Therefore many of them, many of them Jews believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women and men. But because the Jews responded better in Berea, Oh, Satan says, that's no problem. I don't need enemies in Berea. I'll just bring them from Thessalonica. Look at verse 13. But when the Jews of Thessalonica found out that the word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea also, they came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. And then immediately the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea, and Silas and Timothy remained in Berea. So this is the context of the letter of Thessalonica in these four verses. Paul, in obedience to a second missionary calling, goes to Philippi and he gets beaten and kicked out. He goes to Thessalonica and they kick him out. He goes to Berea and they, they kick him out. And now, in our letter, in these four verses of chapter 2 of 1 Thessalonians, he wants to come back and it says that Satan hindered him. The guy can't catch a break. <laughs> I want to reread our text, church. Let's reread those four verses now that we understand what we just read in 16 and 17 of the book of Acts. Okay, let's read those three verses. But we, my brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. How long were they there? Do you remember? They were there for three Sabbaths, three days they hung out with them, and they got run out of town. Verse 18, "'For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us, for who is our hope or joy or crown of exaltation? It's you in the presence of our Lord Jesus that is coming. You are our glory and joy." In spite of these hindrances, in spite of the fact that Paul and Silas and Timothy can't be there for them and continue to speak into them and help them to grow in their faith, they're, they're killing it nonetheless. It's pretty powerful. All right, let's do verse 17, church. Let's read that again. But we, having been taken away from you for a short while in person, not in spirit, we're all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Naturally... The title of today's message speaks to our text today. The message is heart, hope, and hindrances. Church, we have a heart at times, oftentimes, and we have a hope oftentimes or at times for good things. What Paul wanted, what this church needed for them to come back was a good thing. His heart was to be there for them. His hope was to be there for them. And yet there were hindrances in the very things that he and they wanted or needed. Good things. The heart is right. The hope is right. But there's a hindrance from Satan. I just think that's compelling. As the screen says, the Lord's people, His church, can have a heart for each other. Can have a hope for each other. And yet because there is an enemy, there are hindrances in those very relationships that we have this heart and hope for. That is life. That's our Challenge. That's our journey. Paul, in this part of our passage, is articulating his heart. He is acknowledging his hope and he's addressing the hindrances that are there. Arguably, listen, arguably, the extent to which he went in explaining his failure to return to Thessalonica, Paul wanted to give a clear and persuasive explanation of his activities. He's defending himself, you can argue. We can make the assumption that some people in Thessalonica were questioning or even criticizing the behavior of Paul. You were here three Sabbaths and you left. Why haven't you come back? We need you. Hmm, interesting. But, even though he might be being questioned or criticized from what we know, from what we just read in Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17. We know that Paul suffered and sacrificed greatly for the Lord and greatly for the church. Paul even writes about this on some level in his second letter to the church at Corinth. He says, hey look, apart from such external things, those are the things he mentioned in the previous verses, there is the daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. You guys probably know this. And I'm not not looking for a pat on the back or a candy bar. That's not true. I'm looking for a candy bar. But there is. There is a pressure that is on pastors daily for the church. I have that. I would hope that you would think that that's true. It's just a reality. And I have it for you guys But I also have it for this church that's 1,600 miles away from here in Heath, Texas, for Pastor Chris and the people that I love and know out there as well. And he has the burden for that church, and he and I are on the phone every week for an hour to three hours a week just praying for each other and hanging out and checking in because it can be burdensome. And that's why we covet your prayers so desperately because it's just a reality. And what's cool about this is if Paul's behavior was indeed being questioned or criticized... This is such a gracious response to that criticism. It's so gracious and so loving, these four verses. And so the question then is, how gracious are we under attack? If Paul's under attack and Paul's being criticized and he's this gracious in his response, how gracious are we? How gracious do we expect Jesus to be when we attack him? How gracious do we expect Paul to be when we attack him? Well, how gracious does our Lord expect us to be when people attack us. We're to be gracious. It's such a good challenge for us. I love the ESV's version of verse 17. (laughs) But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in our hearts, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. What a gracious, loving, caring response. So for sure, Paul Paul, for sure, he was aware of the stress that this church was under. If they kicked Paul out of Philippi, and they kicked Paul out of Thessalonica, and they kicked Paul out of Berea, that means that they don't like what's going on with Paul. And this church is what's going on with Paul. So just because he's out of town, the Christians are still there. So they're still under some oppression, if you will. So he was aware of this, and he wants to be there to help walk them through the challenges of their faith, if you will, from the suffering He himself, as we already discussed, had been run out of the town of Thessalonica and chased out of the entire province of Macedonia. And he certainly was aware of the persistence of opposition to the gospel in, town, in the town of Thessalonica. And so he, he mentions that in the first part of his letter in chapter 1. Go to, those, go to chapter 1 in 1 Thessalonians. He, he talks about this. See, he, he's thanking them for their perseverance in the midst of challenges. Verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers, constantly bearing in mind three things, your work of faith, your labor of love, and your steadfastness or your perseverance of the hope that you have in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 6. You became imitators of us and of the Lord when you received the word in much tribulation. He's encouraging them. He's saying, man, I know you guys are under some duress, but you're doing so well. So, I want to give us three observations or takeaways from uh, from this verse 17. Some observations and takeaways. Here's the first one. Sometimes the physical manifestation of what we want or need simply isn't there. Paul wants, arguably needs to be there. The church wants, arguably needs for him to be there. But he's not there. And he can't get there. Because Satan has hindered him. And that's just life sometimes, isn't it? That's just life sometimes. The things that we want and the things that we need. And they're good things. They're godly things. But it's not there. It doesn't come to fruition. And oftentimes when that happens, this can create doubt or confusion or anger, or even a feeling abandoned by the Lord in those moments. But I want to reread verse 17, because we might have missed something if we're not careful. But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short while, in person, but not in spirit. That is very important. Paul says that they were taken away from them in person, but not in spirit. Here's the lesson. I'm going to say it twice. Because we are finite, sinful, and sheep-like human beings, sheep-like is not a compliment, okay? Because we are finite, sinful, and sheep-like human beings, the enemy would have us to believe that what is happening to us and around us physically is indicative of what is happening to us and around us spiritually. Let me say that again. Because we are finite, sinful, and sheep-like humans, The enemy would have us to believe that what is happening to us and around us physically is indicative of what is happening to us and around us spiritually. God doesn't give us the thing that we believe we need or we want, and we recognize that it's a good thing. And we say, God's abandoned us. God's angry with me. And the enemy is like, ah, perfect. I got him where I want him. And that's not the way our Lord works, church. Let me ask you this. Raise your hand. If today, you might be saved already, given your life to Jesus Christ, you made a decision for Jesus Christ, you recognize that you needed him as your Lord and Savior, but raise your hand if you need Jesus today. Well, I've got some good news and bad news. The bad news is, he ain't here. They needed Paul. Paul's not there. Jesus ain't here. Did he abandon us? No. No. Jesus would say the same thing. He's been taken away from you for a short while. That's what verse 17 says. In person, but not in spirit. He's been taken away from you for a short while in person, but not in spirit. We need Jesus, but he's been taken from us for a short while. But he says, but I'm with you in spirit. And here's the other great news. And I hope, I hope this moves your heart. At the end of verse 17, Jesus, like Paul, says the same thing. Like Paul, Jesus is all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Praise God for that. Here's our second takeaway from verse 17. Satan is masterful at creating Christian orphans. Well, what the heck does that mean? Satan is masterful at creating Christian orphans. Look at our verse. In verse 17 it says, but we, brethren, having been taken away. Been taken away in the Greek is where we get the word orphan from. Okay, So the NIV says that to be orphaned is how the NIV states it, to be orphaned. The ESV says to be torn away. It's like tearing a child away from its parents. To be orphaned. We discussed this already. They were, they were booted out of Philippi. They were booted out of Thessalonica. They were booted out of Berea. And now they're trying to come back and they can't get to their spiritual children. They can't get to their brothers and sisters in Christ because they've been hindered. They're orphaned from one another and it's killing Paul. It's killing them. Satan is masterful at creating Christian orphans. In 2010, George Barna, George Barna does research, and primarily uh, church research. In 2010, a few short years ago, Barna research showed that there was a little over 100 million believers, professed believers in Jesus Christ, that did not go to church. The total population at the time was about 310 million people. Out of the 310 million people, there's 100 plus million people professing to be believers in Jesus Christ. And they're not in the church. Because Satan is masterful at creating Christian orphans by the stuff that he prevents and the hindrances that he causes between God's people and between them and their shepherd. He's masterful at it. And so people get discouraged and they just quit going to church. Our third takeaway from verse 17. The Thessalonians could have easily, easily not have excelled because of the absence of these godly men but they excelled in spite of it. They were there for three Sabbaths, Paul and Silvanus and Timothy. And then they got run out of town from the enemy because the enemy opposed them. And they could have said, we, we, just, we need more. We need more leadership. We need more Bible studies. We need more church ministry stuff happening. Whatever that looks like. But no, they excelled. They could have excelled because of his absence, but they excelled in spite of the absence. Church, turn to your right. Go to 2 Peter. It's after Hebrews. Then you'll run into the book of James, I think. And then 1 Peter and then 2 Peter. Go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read just the first three verses. Not that fourth one. Simon Peter a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ. That's the writer of the letter. To those who have received, what? A faith of the same kind as ours. What, we, what what Peter received is exactly what we have received. By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Check this out, verse three. Seeing, he's saying then, so check this out. Seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Peter is saying, you church, anybody who calls himself Christian, it has been granted to you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Everything. So even though Paul wants and needs to be there, even though these Believers in Thessalonica want and need Paul to be there. They have everything they need through the person of Jesus Christ and his Holy Spirit. Amen? Yes, godly leaders are great to have, of course. But whether we do or don't have them, it truly is our choice whether we walk in excellence or not. You get that? It's our choice. That's what the passage in Peter says. Eloquently declares. Church, we're in verse 18. Verse 18 of, where am I at? Thessalonians, right? Somehow I was in Colossians. I was going to throw you for a loop. Verse 18. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. What an interesting scenario. What an interesting dilemma that we find in this verse. I wanted to do something that's a good thing. You wanted me to be there. That's a good thing. But Satan hindered us. Paul eagerly desires to come and see them and arguably, being new to the faith, they need him there. Paul's desire seems to be, or I would say it is, a perfectly good thing. And their their need seems to be, or is, a perfectly good need. So what's the lesson there? Here's the lesson. Perhaps, too often, we conclude on behalf of ourselves or on behalf of someone else, that the thing or the things that, they, that we or people often hope for, that are not granted, must have been wrong or impure or selfish or sinful, and that's not the case. You say, well, God's not granted it, then there's got to be some sin in your life, and it must be wrong, or your motives are impure. It's like, no, they're not. Sometimes we want really good things for us, and for some reason, it's hindered in our lives but we're to keep hoping, we're to keep trusting. Paul, as we know, a man very much in tune with the heart of God, not only wanted to come and see them, it says he wanted to come see them again and again and again. That's what it really means when it says more than once. It means again and again and again. Why would he want something again and again and again if it's not a good thing, and yet he was hindered? They needed spiritual help. They were new in their faith. We all need spiritual help. Spiritual help, which is what's being represented in these verses, is always the will of God. It's always the will of God to give spiritual help to somebody. And so hindrance here in our text is opposition to the will of God. Hmm. God has a will in your life. He has a will for this church. He has a will for this world. And there's a hindrance, opposes the will of God. How is Satan currently hindering the will of God in your life? Are you aware of that? How can you find that out? God has a will for your life, and then Satan brushes up against the will of God and wants to oppose the will of God. And so if God has a will in your life, and he does, then you can expect opposition. There will be some And you have to be in in touch with that and be able to speak into that and be able to have people praying for you to say, pray for this, man. God wants this. It's the will of God for my life to to, to do this or to have this thing happen. And Satan's rushing up against me. Hmm. This verse shows us that Satan hindered Paul from coming. And yet what Paul wanted was a good thing. So I wonder if Paul was understanding in the moment. I wonder if he was trusting in the moment. Or did he feel confused or abandoned or angry, which is oftentimes how we get with the Lord when something good is hindered in our lives. I wonder if the church in Thessalonica, the brothers and sisters there, I wonder if they were understanding and trusting in all of this or if they felt confused or abandoned or angry. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. Go to Proverbs chapter 3. You have the book of Psalms. It's in the Old Testament. You have the book of Psalms. And then I believe is the book of of, um, Proverbs. Right before the book of Ecclesiastes, I think. Okay? Go to Proverbs 3. Proverbs 3, verses 1 through 6. Verse 1. My son, don't forget my teaching, let your heart keep my commandments. Length of days and years of life and peace they will be added to you. Do not let kindness and truth leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart and you will find favor and good repute in both the sight of God and man. And here it is, verses five and six. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Not most of it. Not a good portion of it. Not oftentimes. That's the hard part. It's a little three-letter word, all. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. Oh, my goodness, we love to lean on our own understanding, don't we? We just do. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And He's the one that will make your path straight in His timing, for His reasons, for His purposes. Church, consider this. Consider this in our text. The Lord could have easily removed the hindrance that was coming from Satan. True or false? True. The Lord could have removed the hindrance... That was presented to Paul. I wonder why he didn't. Why didn't he remove that hindrance? It doesn't say here, but I think the full counsel of Scripture, we do understand why he doesn't remove every hindrance. Imagine if our Lord removed each and every hindrance in our lives. It's probably not a good thing. Imagine if we as parents removed each and every hindrance in the lives of our children. Probably not a good thing. Then why? Why doesn't he remove those hindrances? Turn to James. We were in first and Second Peter, so you have Hebrews, then James. Go back that direction. Go to the book of James. Church, we all know James, chapter one, one through four. Most of us don't like James, chapter one, verses one through four, but we know it. James chapter 1, starting in verse 1. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes who are dispersed abroad. In other words, anybody who calls themselves a Christian. Consider it joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, because you know something. You know that the testing of your faith produces something, it produces endurance. And if you let endurance have its perfect result, then you will be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Our God loves us enough to get us to a place where we are perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. And if He removes every hindrance, then He prevents that work from taking place in our lives. Glory be to our God. Verses 19 and 20, as we wrap this up, back in 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. This rhetorical question... For who is our hope, joy, and crown of exaltation? It's you. You are our glory and joy. What high praise that Paul speaks over this church. Think about it. In spite of absences, Paul, Silas, and Timothy not being there, and in spite of hindrances, Satan being present, these Thessalonians are their hope and joy and crown of exaltation. Some things are there that shouldn't be. Some things aren't there that arguably should be. And yet, they're killing it. Church, here's the lesson. We can excel in spite of the absence of good things and the hindrance of bad things. We can be excellent men and women of God. We can bring hope and joy and exaltation to our Lord regardless of the circumstances of our lives. And so the question then becomes, at what point, at what point do you and I get to excel at our Christianity? Do all the puzzle pieces have to be in place before we can excel? I'm here to tell you that all the puzzle pieces are there for you to excel. Like Paul is writing about the honor and joy that these folks bring him, do we have people that would write the same about us? Would people say that we are their joy and hope and and exaltation? Regardless of your number of years as a believer, as a believer, have you historically brought honor and joy to your leaders and or pastors like the Thessalonians have done to Paul? Let me close with this in preparation for next week. Paul is expressing his feelings here. He expressed these feelings in these verses to assure the church that he had not forgotten them as he moved on to other venues of ministry. The Lord didn't allow him back. He wanted him to continue on. And so he's reassuring them. I love you. You're my friends, but God's moved me on. But you can still kill it. Pastor John started this church 15 years ago. I came here however many couple years ago, right? And you're still killing it. He wants you to keep killing it. You can still do well. You have all that you need, whether John's here or whether I'm here. And when I leave, then the next person comes, and when they leave that you can still be people of excellence, regardless of who shepherds this church. They continue to be dear to him. And by stating his feelings so emphatically, the apostle sought to solidify and strengthen the bond between them. He loved them. They were his friends. It's a, in a clear demonstration of the genuineness of his concern for, for this church, he decides to send Timothy because he can't get there. God sends him somewhere else to start more churches, to lead other people to Christ. But he sends Timothy. And that's how chapter 3 starts. When Paul says, when I could take it no longer, I sent Timothy to you. And on they continue to go, excelling in their faith. Amen? I'm going to invite up the worship team. They're going to close this in song. I'm going to pray while they're working their way up. If you need prayer after service, please, please, please see our prayer team down in the corner. Church, pray with me. Almighty God, you're just just so good to us, Lord. Lord, there are often times, Lord, where we want, arguably need, good things, and yet you allow hindrances. But Lord, you're showing us, you're telling us through this passage that you can do amazing things in us and through us in spite of those hindrances. That we are not to lean on our own understanding, but to acknowledge you in all of our ways, and you, Lord, will eventually make our paths straight. Lord, we love you and we thank you. Father, we pray clearly, Lord, we don't pray for hindrances, Lord, but we pray for the strength to endure during the hindrances, that we would trust you. Lord, we thank you that you have given us all things pertaining to life in godliness, all things. And for that, we say thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.